Everyone has a name that they're called. Everyone has a name that they're known by. Some are given, but some define us. Yet there is one name known throughout the world. It is eternal, powerful, full of grace. It redeems, restores, encourages, and gives hope. It is the only name by which you can be saved. Jesus. 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 King of kings. Lord of lords. It is the only name that changes yours. He is always with you. He sees your smile. He hears your cries. He feels your pain. He is the Great Shepherd. He whispers his guidance in uncertainty. He gives direction in the midst of confusion. He is faithful and true. He will never leave you or forsake you. He keeps no record of wrongs. He is hope. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins. He paid the price for us. He has made all things right and he is here name above all names oh the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When you hear the name of Jesus, what emotions, what thoughts come across your mind? Last week... We learned about him being an advocate, an advisor, and a counselor to us. We need to go to him when we need advice. He is the best one we can always go to. We may have to listen a little bit closer when we go to him, 
But when you truly hear the voice of God, when you truly listen, when you truly tune in to what God is saying, that is where we begin to grow. We're going through the names of Christ this Christmas season as found in Isaiah 9-6. There are over 200 names for Jesus in the Bible. And I think oftentimes because of the translation from the original Greek and Hebrew, we cannot even really grasp how wonderful and precious these names are. The name says it all. We buy clothing because of the name. We buy cars because of the name or brand. We eat desserts because the name says something wonderful to us. When I was younger, my parents gave me a little card that had my name on it and what it meant. And my name, Luke, means light. And it just so happens that my favorite verse comes from Matthew 5.14 where it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. So my name, anytime I think about you know, just who I am, I have to remind myself that I am a light to everybody out there. And we as Christians are a light to everyone who is out there. They see each and everything that we are doing. And they scrutinize it. Especially if we claim to be in Christ. So today we are going to look at the second name as found in there, Isaiah 9.6. I'm going to read it again. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For a child is born unto us, a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can freely come to you. We want to thank you for being our counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. We ask for your spirit here today. Speak through me in your heavenly and most precious name. Amen. My God is a mighty God. My God is an almighty God. We first see this reference in Genesis 17.1 where it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Where this is the first time that we see he is called the Almighty God. This obviously is not the first time we see His Almighty hand at work. We see His Almighty hand at work at the very beginning of the Bible when He created the heavens and the earth, when He created everything out of nothing. Just thinking of that one instance, it's, it's hard to imagine anybody else to think He is anything but mighty. We should be struck by His power The identity of God as Almighty God serves to establish a sense of awe and wonder. And we have this God who has has no limitations. He is all-powerful. And in Exodus, God says to Moses, I am the Lord. This is the first time that he calls himself Lord. 
So as Christians, we believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is the first time there in Exodus where he says, I'm not just God Almighty, I am Lord. I want to be the master of your life. And it's a more personal thing. It's a more relational thing when he says, I am the Lord God Almighty. The fact that God Almighty would humble himself and come down to earth is more than remarkable. If you have your Bibles today or your iPhone, your iPad, whatever, whatever you're using, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you, go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians where we look at a verse there in Ephesians. And then Ephesians is found in the New Testament. So go ahead and open up there. And I don't think most of us really truly realize how almighty God is, especially the world. When they ask us who God is, it's so hard for us to describe him and let them understand because people who aren't saved have never experienced God. So if they've never experienced God, it's hard for them to understand how almighty and how truly awesome he is. One definition in the dictionary of almighty, it says this, having unlimited or complete power. Another word we use for this is omnipotent. If we truly revered God, if we truly respected Jesus, how much different would our lives be? God and Jesus are more than just names. They are more than just just a name in the Bible. These names describe their characteristics. They describe who they truly are. You can't call anybody else the resurrection and the life. You can't call anybody else your true redeemer. You can't call anybody else the bread of life and the living water. And when we truly understand these names, that is when we will truly see Jesus for who he is. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, and it is made full and complete by Christ who fulfills all things, everything, and everywhere by himself. I like in the beginning part it says, you know, I hope you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. And how hard is it to understand sometimes how powerful our God is, how our God is truly for us no matter what comes. When you become a follower of Christ, When you decide to give your life to Jesus, you are saying that same power that was in Jesus is now in me. When Jesus left the earth, he said, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid. I am going to send someone 
to you. I am going to send my Holy Spirit to reign upon you. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O sovereign Lord. Jeremiah is crying out to God. He's saying, oh God, you are so worthy. He says, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Oh, sovereign Lord. Oh, wonderful one. You show how unfailing, you show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. You have all wisdom and do a great and mighty miracle. You see the conduct of all people and you give them what they deserve. You performed miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Things are still remembered to this day. And you have continued to do great miracles in Israel and all around the world. You have made your name famous to this day. In this little text there in Jeremiah, we see three characteristics of God. In verse 17, we see it says he is all-powerful. So we know that God is omnipotent. That no matter what he does, he is the all-powerful one. He holds everything in his hands. In verse 19, where it says he has all wisdom, we see God's omniscience, his all-knowing ability. And in, also in verse 19, we see that it says he is everywhere. He sees all people. So God is omnipresent. So God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all over. If that doesn't scream an almighty God, I don't know how else truly describe him because to be those three things is more than we can ever imagine more than we could ever hope for and we can't even come close to it no other god no other person on this earth can come close to being those three things the the text we read there in in ephesians you know it I'm such a self-doubter. So when I see that it says that that power is in me, I think, really? God, I'm, I'm nobody. How do I have that power? How do I have that same power? And when I read that verse 19, it says, it says uh, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power to those who believe in him. So because I have believed in God, because I have made him Lord of my life, I have to try and understand and I have to grasp the concept that I have that same power. It makes me think of another scripture in Romans, another book that Paul wrote. Romans 8:11 it says, "The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you." Jeremy Camp wrote a song a few years back And it says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us. The same power that moves mountain when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, it lives in us. The reason I struggle with this this text, the reason I struggle with this concept, is because, again, I feel inadequate. 
And I am truly amazed that God would use somebody like me. That he would say, hey, I am going to use you. And I am going to make you a mighty warrior for me. And I just have to remember that Jesus is for me. It says it in Romans. It says, if God is for me, then who can be against me? Sometimes I want to think of it as, if God is for me, who would want to be against me? If God is on my side, why would you want to be against me? Why would you want to be against Christians? Because, again, he is the almighty and powerful God. The problem that I think we have today is this. As somebody who's been in the ministry, been in church for a long time, I often see Christians who are defeated by sin. Some, they're enslaved to pornography. Some are enslaved to sexual immorality. Some to alcohol and drugs. Some have ruined their marriages and families because of anger or verbal abuse. And some Christians are just plain worldly. Wasting away doing meaningless activities with no thinking about the kingdom. They spend their money just as the world does with no thought of laying up for themselves treasures up in heaven. They think of themselves and they don't think of God's kingdom. We as a culture, we as a church, we as Christians, we feed our minds with such meaningless and godless music and TV shows and entertainment and we don't ever think on the things that God has ordained us to think about. And I often hear of pastors and Christians, Christian leaders, who they say, where is God's mighty power in the lives of these people? If we have that same power, why has that power not manifested through us? Why do we not see that power today? Why do we not see Christians using the power that God has given them? Some will say that we should see power of healing or speaking in tongues or supernatural prophecies. But all too often the people who make those claims are the ones themselves who are living worldly lives. And when their worldly lifestyles, when we as Christians, our worldly lifestyles come into light, that is when the world mocks Christianity. That is where they begin to tear apart the Bible and say, why would I want the power of God in me when you live like that? You're no different than me. So how can we reconcile what Paul said and believe that God's power is in us? And is in us. What do these words mean and how can we apply them today? How can we truly express God's power and understand God's power in us? Two points to today's sermon. Jesus' Jesus's power is at work in you and Jesus' power is at work through you. So Jesus wants to work in you and he wants to work through you. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, as we say, if you have asked Him to come into your heart, then again, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. If you can't remember a certain time or a certain place where you came to the realization that only Christ can save you, 
then I'm going to say chances are you are not on your way to heaven. If you can't say, hey, I, I may not remember how old I was, but I do remember praying to God and asking him. It doesn't matter. Well, you did this when you were young. It needs to be known in your heart. People say, well, I was baptized as a baby or as a child. Baptism alone doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Being a member of the church and giving doesn't save you. Only truly accepting Christ. Only truly bowing down to him and saying, Lord, forgive me. That is what will save you. Philippians 2.12 says this, Dear friends, you have followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So when he says work hard to show the results, he's saying, hey, you need to work to show the fruits of the Spirit. When we accept Christ into our lives, that is how we show Christ. By loving, by being generous, by giving. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and giving you the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people, holding firmly to the word of life, then on to the day of Christ's return. I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share that joy. Most of the time, I think we can't see God working in us. We, can't, we don't feel that he's working in us because more than likely, we're still holding on to something that God has called us to let go of. In Ecclesiastics, it says, Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls in chasing after the wind. So better is one handful with peace and understanding than having two handfuls and not knowing what to do. Some of us, we have God in this hand, but we don't see the power of God working in us because in this hand we have unforgiveness. We have bitterness. We have anger, we have lust, we have complacency. And if in this hand we have God, in this hand we have all that other stuff, when we're walking and we see somebody, a fellow Christian, who needs help up, we can't reach down and help them up because both of our hands are full. We can't take some of what we have here, some of God's love, and give it to them. Because we have so much other stuff that God has called us to let go of. But yet it's still in this hand. And it robs us of God working through us. God says, I have manifested myself in you. So that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly 
great things. You see in Philippians, Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi, and he says, God is working in you to give you the desires and the power. And the power to do what? The power to do what pleases God. I think a lot of people, when they first become a Christian, they think, all right, you know, I'm going to become a Christian, and God's just going to take away all my problems. God is just going to make my life easy. God's power is not to make our life easy. God's power in us is to change us. To take us from being selfish to self-centered into someone who is Christ-like with love and compassion and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. Again, the things that are the fruits of the Spirit. You see, God's power is real. God's power is in us. We just don't see it. God's power can be working in you. And maybe you just don't see God's power right now. Maybe you just think somebody else has always got the break. Somebody else has always got the promotion at work and you always get passed up. Maybe you think God has put you on the shelf and forgot about you. And you think, where is God's power in my life? I don't see it. Well, God's power is real. And Jesus is wanting to work in you if you just allow him. It's a process of becoming. Go ahead and turn with us to Isaiah. We're going to look in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to start in... We're going to start in verse 12 where we truly see some of the works, some of the powerful things that God is made up of. Chapter 40 and verse 12, it says, Who else held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? Now for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of seed. 16. All the woods in Laban's forest and all Laban's animals would not be enough to make him a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of this world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes they are count for less nothing, more emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might, they might at least choose wood that won't decay, a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. 
Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? Verse 22, God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of this world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like a chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asked the Holy One. Look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after one, calling each one by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single star is missing. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. In verse 20, 29, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even the youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah, a prophet, a really great man of God, and he writes that God gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of those who are weak. We can look at it and we can say, even the best of the best grow tired and weary. And it goes on to say that even the youths will become weak and tired. But those who put their hope, those who put their trust, those who put their faith in the Lord, their strength will be renewed through Him and Him alone. Maybe, maybe this hits home for you today. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're weary. It's getting to the end of the year and it took everything out of you just to make it to church today. You've got your problems. It's all you can think about. And it's coming to the end of the year and you just don't know how you are going to make it. The good news is, the great news is that God gives strength to those who ask for it. He gives strength when we are weary. And He will manifest His Spirit in us and give us the power to make it through. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, starting in verse 18, says this, Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. 
Now may the God of peace, who brought me up from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need to do his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Right here in this passage of Hebrews, in verse 21, it says, He will equip you. The King James Version says, He will make perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Another version says, He will equip you with every good thing to carry out His will and to strengthen and accomplish that which is pleasing to Him. The NIV says He will equip you with every good thing for His will, and He will work in you for what is pleasing to Him. Jesus wants to work in you. We just have to let Him. We just have to let go and let God. Point number two, Jesus' power is at work through you. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse number 1. We're going to read through verse 5. Verse 1, it says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but that you would trust in the power of God. Paul is telling them here, listen, nothing that I have ever done, nothing that I have ever said, nothing that I have ever preached, nothing that I have ever taught has ever come from me. It has all come through Jesus working through me. Paul, one of the people of the Hall of Faith, one of the great apostles of the New Testament, who wrote most of the New Testament. And yet Paul is like us. Paul had a weakness. Paul had a handicap. We don't know what this is. We don't know if it was some mental thing or if it was a physical ailment. We don't know if he was still holding on a little bit to his past life when he was persecuting Christians. Maybe he never forgave himself for that. But Paul goes to God and he says, God, take this from me. I have this thorn in my flesh. Take it from me. He cried out three times for God to take it from him. And God said, no. Listen, my grace is all 
you need. God says, my power works best in your weakness. And Paul says, if that is so, then I will boast about my weakness so that the power of God can work through me. And Paul goes on to say, he says, I will take pleasures in my weakness and in my insults and in my hardships, in my persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Because when I am weak, it is only God who will make me strong. So who is this almighty God? The almighty God is love. Many people will say that all the time. They will say, well, yes, God is love. Even if they aren't true believers, they will still say, God is love. But to understand the depth of God's love is something else. God's love for people when he sent his son to be born, to be the savior of the world. And God only has thoughts of a hope and a wonderful future for us. I don't think we can ever truly fathom, truly understand the depths of God's love. It's hard enough to experience it. But when we truly understand it and we experience it, and we let God work in us, and we let God work through us, that is when we can stand up and say, my God is a mighty God. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with His gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We sing so many songs about our wonderful and awesome God. We sing our God is an awesome God. But do we truly believe it? We sing only he is mighty to save us. But do we truly understand how mighty he is? An old song talks about Jesus' name. And it goes like this. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth Proclaim, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. 
But there's something about that name. Something about the name of Jesus. Something about that name that should just bring a peace in you. When you hear the name of Jesus lifted up. When you feel Jesus' presence with you. It's something that is so hard to describe. But yet when you understand it, and you feel it, that is the power of God working in you. Gloria, Gloria Gaither wrote this. Jesus, the mere mention of His name can calm a storm, heal the broken, and raise the dead. At the name of Jesus, I've seen sin-hearted men melted, derelicts transformed, the lights of hope put in the eyes of a hopeless child. At the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness turn to love and forgiveness and arguments will cease. I heard a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child delirious from fever as I watched as that little body grew quiet and the fever went cold. I sat by the bedside of a dying saint, her body wrecked with pain, who in her final fleeting seconds summoned her last ounce of strength just to whisper earth's sweetest name, Jesus, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophers have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it. Yet his name still stands. And there will be a final day when every voice that has uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race, shall raise in one mighty chorus and will proclaim the name of Jesus. For in that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you see, it was not by mere chance that an angel one night long ago came to a virgin and the angel said, and his name will be called Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, there's just something about that name. Have you let the Almighty One work in you? Are you saying, God, you are the Mighty One, and I know you want to work in me, and I know 
you want to work through me. Let me be able to proclaim your name. Let my light shine this Christmas season so that they can see that you are the mighty God. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the mighty one. You are our wonderful counselor. When in need, you are the one who gives the best advice. We can call on you for anything. Work in us. Let us let go of that bitterness, of that hatred, that unforgiveness, and let us hold on to you. Work through us so that we can show other people your love, your grace, your kindness, your forgiveness. Let us be the light of the world. Shining light in this dark and crazy world. We ask this in your heavenly and most gracious name.